Welcome to the LifeGate Podcast. Our vision is changing lives in a changing culture with the unchanging truth. Our prayer is that these weekly messages will inspire you to life change through the principles found in God's Word. Let's join in for this week's message. What an honor it is to be at LifeGate this morning. Uh, I am a big fan of Chad and Amber Benson. You have got the greatest pastors on the planet. Uh, and what God is doing in this church, look at the growth. Look at the, uh, the season that you are in. What an amazing time for me to be here this morning. I want to say, first and foremost, some of you may not know it, but this church has already been on the front line of helping kids all across the state of Texas, already sowing seeds, already having your pastor in a very influential position to help 30,000 kids. Let that sink in for a little bit. In the state of Texas, there are 30,000 children in the foster care system. That's enough for a pretty large city in our state. And uh, many of them are ready right now to be adopted, to be fostered, Uh, What got me started uh, several years ago, I was at a conference in Phoenix, Arizona of some friends of of the Bensons and mine, the Barnetts. They have a conference every year out at Phoenix First Assembly, and I heard a story that I did not believe when I first heard it. Uh, As you can see, my daughter is here with me this morning. Naftali, would you wave to everybody? Doesn't she look just like me? She gets all her beauty from me. I know that's what you were thinking. Thank you for for thinking that. I have two beautiful kids. They're both adopted from the nation of Haiti. And so uh, I I love adoption. I'm an adoption-aholic. And I love hearing the stories of adoption. It is amazing. If you've been fostered or adopted, you are chosen. You are royalty. You are children of the king. And so I tell my daughter that she's my princess. She knows that. I have a son uh, who gave us probably the greatest gift that we've ever been given. How many grandparents do we have in the house today? Come on now. We know that children are God's greatest blessings, but grandchildren are God's greatest reward for not killing your own kids when they were teenagers. If you get past that, then you get the reward. But I love the stories of all the kids who get adopted, the miracles, but I never sat down to think what happens to the kids who don't get adopted. And then I heard this story when I was out at the Dream Center just a few years ago uh, of a story, Matthew and Caroline Barnett, dear friends of ours, Caroline got up and told the story of how they would go out every week and many times every day to Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles, and they would feed up to 30,000 people uh, every single week in the city of Los Angeles. And they kept seeing a white van pull up in the middle of Skid Row and drop off a wide-eyed-looking teenager holding a trash bag, and then the white van would pull away. Finally, Pastor Caroline got one of her workers over and said, look, the next time that white van pulls up, could you just run over and find out what in the world they're doing? I don't know if any of you have ever been to Skid Row in downtown Los Angeles. I can describe it in one word. It's hell. It is the worst place you can imagine. You would not want your pet to live there for five minutes. And they were dropping off these kids and then pulling away. Finally, the white van pulled back up and Pastor Caroline saw it and she sent one of her workers over. The worker ran over to the van, knocked on the window. The guy rolled down his window And the workers from the Dream Center said, look, our pastor sent us over here to find out who are you and do you have any idea what you're doing dropping these kids off in this horrible environment? And the guy rolled down his window and he said, yeah, I'm with uh, California's version of CPS and today's their 18th birthday. 
Their foster family doesn't get any more money after today, and the homeless shelter down the street is full, so we have no place to take them. When I heard that story, I, I came unglued. I was like, this cannot be happening. This, in, in my country that I live in, this cannot be happening. And God began to speak to my heart about the kids who, who never get adopted. And so five years ago, we started an amazing program called Phased In. If you ever get on your computer, look at phasedin.org. Uh, it is an awesome program. We've seen over 60 young men and women come through our program already just in five years. And we just found out that in our little region, we may have gone through the first ever three-year period where not a single young man has phased out of the foster care system without a place to go. It's, it's historic. And when I began to hear these stories, I thought, how many are we talking about in the state of Texas? Anywhere from 12 to 1,500 students will turn 18 years of age, and if they haven't found a forever family, they're just out to fend for themselves. It is an epidemic that is so bad that the prison systems of America base their future inmate population on the number of kids that phase out of foster care. If that doesn't define an epidemic, I don't know what does. The world has given up. When we got this vision, I, I called a meeting, and before I knew it, I had some reps from Austin all over Texas sitting in my office, and I said, we want to do something. We don't want to just give them a place. We want to give them a home. We want to adopt the ones who never got adopted, who thought they were out of chances, but realized God is the God of the second chance, the third chance, the hundredth chance, the thousandth chance. He never gives up on us. So God laid on my heart to start this awesome ministry called Phased In. Then the North Texas District contacted me and said, would you work with all of our orphan care programs because we want to do something big. Yes, we want to minister to the 1,500 that phase out every year of foster care, but we also want to do something about the 30,000 kids right now that need a mom and a dad, a Christian mom and a Christian dad. And so God has connected me with a ministry called Family First, and this church has already sown big seeds into that ministry, and we are on, I want you to, I want you to know something, LifeGate, you're on the ground floor of something historic. Because we got a team together that's going to go throughout. We're going to start in North Texas. We're going to go all over the state of Texas. But we are going to see how many kids we can get connected with forever families. How many of you think that's pretty awesome? Well, I'm, I'm going to preach at you this morning and pretend like I'm back home in Wichita Falls. Is that okay? Can I get some preachers to preach with me today? All right, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse number 30. I'm going to share with you a story that describes you. I'm going to talk about four different types of people, and I'm going to tell you right up front, every single one of you fit into one of these categories. And it also describes what's happening in our world today in the foster care system. So you might want to go ahead and get ready and figure out which group do I fit into. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 through 33. The Bible says this, and I love Luke chapter 10 because it's a powerful chapter. It starts off with Jesus sending out the 70. He sends them out two by two. And in Luke 10, 2, one of the greatest prayers that I used to always pray when I was a new Christian, go pray ye the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors. That's Luke, Luke 10, 2. One time I was praying that and the Lord just tapped me on the shoulder during prayer and said, you need to quit praying that and start answering that, that he would send forth labors and you get ready to go. When I heard the need of what was happening in Los Angeles, God said, first I want you to sow, and then I want you to go. And I believe if it's a kingdom thing, we start off by sowing into it. When you sow seeds into this house, I have never heard anything like that tithing challenge before. That is awesome. I want to tell you something. How many of you know you can never outgive the Lord? 
And I guarantee you're probably not going to have anybody say, I want my money back on that because God's going to bless you more than just financially, many ways than you've ever thought about. But when, but, I, but when we get into Luke chapter 10, there's so many good things, not just Luke. There's a, there's a, a portion of that, and I'm, I'm just dancing around here a little bit, but that's the way I roll. And so in Luke chapter 10, there is a man who is learned in the law that asks Jesus, says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the law. What does the law say? And he answers correctly when he says, the law says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Most people leave that second part out, but he knew it. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. You know what I learned? I was praying not long ago and God gave me a revelation of that. Do you know that true religion, true religion is not rule-based? It's relationship-based. Fake religion is rule-based. There's a lot of people in fake religion, but we know that true religion, as the book of James 1.27 tells us, is to look after the widows and the orphans during their time of need. It is relationship-based. The greatest command of all is not rule-based. It is relationship-based. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then when Jesus says, you've answered correctly, then the, the man who's learning in the law says, Well, I got another question. The disciples say, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers in verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite. When he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. Father, I thank you that your word is going forth and it shall not return void. I just pray, Lord, that whatever you want to accomplish through me, Lord, let it be. And let our hearts and our spirits be open to receive all that you have. In Jesus' name, amen. Four different types of people. This man is starting off in Jerusalem. He's Jewish. He's going to to Jericho. And he gets attacked by robbers. So the first group of people that we see here are, number one, if you're taking notes, those who beat up. One thing I've known working with kids that have come out of the foster care system is it's a broken system. It's a messed up system. One thing I thank God for are Christian foster parents. If you're here today and you are a Christian foster parent, you are an answer to prayer. This church is about to launch or has just launched an awesome orphan care ministry. And after service, there's going to be a representative out there. We need awesome foster parents. We need people who will sow and we need people who will go who will be a part of taking care of the need of these children because they come out of hurting situations. We had a young lady in our phased-in campus in Dallas. And by the way, Cindy Wright is here. She is the chair of our DFW phased-in board. Cindy, would you wave at everybody? There's a real hero right there in the house. We had a young lady in our campus in Dallas that we learned not long after she came to us that when she was 15 years old, had been trafficked by her biological mother for over a year. Her mother was such a drug addict, she sold her own daughter out to to get that drug habit met. This girl came to us, she was lifeless. She didn't have 
any personality. She was just back in a corner. She was just kind of stuck back there and just, just hiding and just like an animal scared. She had been through such trauma in her life. She had been abused so bad. When she came to us, our house parents worked with her and it took several months for her to just open up. I remember when I first met her, she just kind of didn't even stick her hand out to shake hands with me. Then I saw her a few months later and I kept getting reports from my house parents. She's doing good. She's smiling. She's beginning to have breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. Till one day we came to the golf tournament and there she was out there. Hi, Pastor Kyle, how are you doing? I'm like, is this the same girl? How many of you know God has a way of turning our nightmares into dreams? He has a way of taking everything the enemy intends for evil and turn it around for good. There is a world that looks, that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy because their God, that's what he's all about. He is the deceiver. He is the one that wants to bring that trauma, bring that, that hopelessness to this world. But there is a God who said, I have come to give you life, to give you life more abundantly here on earth and eternal in heaven. And so God is the giver of life, even when there are those who come to beat up. One thing I've learned is that Christians, sometimes we're, we're pretty bad at beating up. Maybe not just physically, but sometimes we, we get in a situation where if we hear a good story and we just feel like we need to share it, we think, well, it won't hurt anybody if I just lay a little uh, innuendo out there or a little assumption or a little accusation out there. My friends, we've got to be careful. Every idle word that we say, we got to make sure that we take every thought captive and make sure that everything we do is uplifting and encouraging, that we are here to sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. That that doesn't just mean with our, our verbal usage. That means with our social media. And sometimes you can beat somebody up on Facebook. You can hurt somebody by just laying something out there that you might think is funny. We've got to be careful. Every thought that enters our spirit that is, that is, that has the potential to hurt someone, we need to take those thoughts captive. Because we, we, I don't ever want to be in a position where I hurt somebody with something that I say or something that I do. That's the enemy's plan. He wants us to get against each other. He wants us to be against our pastor who God has put into our heart to be our, or into our lives to be our shepherd and to lead us. Listen, if you ever have any thoughts against the leadership here, you need to go to the leadership here. If I lived anywhere close to this church, this would be my church home. This place is awesome. I love your pastors. I, I was back during prayer before church. This is a praying church. This is a kingdom church. I want to tell you something. Maybe some of you have been here or here this morning and you've been beat up by church before. You've been beat up by religion before. You're in the right place. This is a place where you'll be healed. This is a place where you won't be judged. You won't be condemned. They're going to love you for who you are and not expect you to be someone that you're not. You're in a safe place. That's what the house of God is. That's what our life needs to be. And when God gave us a vision to do phased in, we had no idea all the hurting kids that God would send us that have been through so much. I want you to know I've picked up kids on a park bench. I've picked up kids in a bus station. We picked up kids in homeless shelters. When I picked up the kid on the park bench, I wish we could have got to him a day before. He got mugged the night before. Can you imagine beating up a homeless foster kid? to try to take what he had. Well, this man is lying by the side of the road and the robbers have come. They stripped him of his clothes clothes, and they have left him there to die. In this world, there are those who beat up. Number two, and I don't think anybody here fits into that category, so we'll move on. Number two, there are those who shut up. 
This man is lying by the side of the road. He has been beat up. He's naked. He's lying there. He is dying. He is bleeding. In fact, the Bible says he's half dead. But wait a minute. Here comes some help. Because out of the corner of his eye, he sees a priest walking down the road. Woo! The church has arrived. The church is here. I knew my God would not forsake me. But how shocked he must have been. When the priest sees him in his condition and chooses to walk on the other side. It's exactly what it says. He went out of his way to avoid him. Well, I've shared some things with you today that maybe some of you, it hurts to hear, but it's real. It's out there. They're lying by the side of the road and the church is now on the scene. One thing I've learned is that a hundred years ago, we didn't need a foster care system. We didn't need the state to intervene. You want to know why? Because the church got off our donkey. One thing, if I want to leave something with you today, I won't use the King James word for donkey. But we need to get off our donkey. And what God is calling our churches to do today is to get off the donkey and not just go by and pretend like, well, the state will take care of them. Well, they get help from the state. Well, somebody else will do that. Listen, if we don't do it, I'm going to tell you something. The state has thrown up their hands and said, we do not know what we're doing. We have failed. And what is happening in the state of Texas right now is that the state is saying, church, will you help? We need you. I believe we're going to come to the day after we see more school shootings where our school systems are going to say, we need God back in our schools. We don't need more gun control or more guns or whatever. We need Jesus. Because these things didn't happen before we kicked Jesus out of the schools. But now we bring him back in. I believe the answer to everything is bringing God back into the equation. Not religion, relationship. The priest looks at him, goes out of his way to go on the other side. And the poor guy's thinking, my God, my God, even you have forsaken me. But wait a minute. Here comes a Levite. Okay, maybe the church didn't help, but maybe the politicians will help. Maybe the leaders of the community will help. Maybe those who are learned in the law, maybe they will help. No, the Levite saw him in his peril, and he too went out of his way to go around on the other side. My friends, we have shut up too long. We have ignored the problem. Now it's time not for us to shut up, but to step up and realize they're out there. They're lying by the side of the road and they are half dead. You know, I heard something not long ago that shocked me. I get to go to a lot of things with Phased In. I heard a doctor speaking one time and a doctor told us, children who have experienced severe trauma in their life, and with our phased in kids, just about all of them have just have experienced severe trauma. There is a part of their life that will actually developmentally halt at the sign of severe trauma. You know what that means? There's a part of them that dies. We brought in a girl, the first girl we brought ever, ever brought into phase in. I think the state sent us the toughest cookie to see if we really meant business. Like, okay, we'll send you Kiki and then we'll decide if you're really called to do this. So when they sent us Kiki, that was the most rebellious little girl I had ever met. She met us, cussing us out, telling us how it was going to be, how she was in charge, this and that. She said, look, I'm a lesbian, and I know you're Christians, so don't judge me, don't condemn me. I'm not going to have anything to do with it. This is who I am. We said, all right, we love you. We loved on her and loved on her and loved on her. She'd probably still be in phase then if she didn't have some physical things that she had to go get surgeries for. But when Kiki left us, the state called me. 
They didn't just send a letter. They called me and said, what did you do with Kiki? I said, I don't know. Tell me what's up with Kiki. They said, we have never seen such love come out of her. When she left phased in, she was crying, said, that's my home. That's my family. They love me. You know what? We didn't try to fix her when she came in and said, this is wrong with you. That's wrong with you. We just started loving on her. We got off our donkey. We bandaged her wounds. And we were just simply being Jesus to her. That is, and the state has said, we're going to send you more. Is that okay? We're like, bring them on. I believe what's happening now is that the, the world is looking at the church for the answers. For too long, the church has tried to be like the world. Now the world is saying, we want to be like you. You call down to Austin right now and say, what's the best thing in the state of Texas for kids who phase out of foster care? They won't send you to a secular organization. They'll say, you need to go to Wichita Falls and see what's happening at Phased In. And now they're wanting to launch a campus right there in Arlington, Texas. They've already seen the need met in that little region of Region 2. What's going to happen? What, what if every kid who phased out of foster care in the DFW area had a place to call home? That would send a signal all over the world. That would be historic. That would be the end of an epidemic. And my friends, it is attainable. It is possible. But it only happens when we, the church, decide we're not going to shut up anymore. Well, there are those who beat up and there are those who shut up. But praise God, there are those like the ones I'm talking to in LifeGate Church in Burleson, Texas. Those who lift up. The man's lying by the side of the road. The church doesn't help. The law doesn't help. He's like, look, have you ever, how many people grew up in the 70s like I did? Go ahead and date yourself. Remember the old show Sanford and Son? That man's laying there going, this is the big one, Elizabeth. I'm coming to join you, honey. The buzzards are circling. They are getting ready for their feast. He's like, stick a fork in me. I must have made God mad. I must have made the, I don't know what, all I did was leave Jerusalem this morning, headed to Jericho, and I'm about to take my last breath. And then to make matters worse, out of the corner of his eye, he doesn't see a priest, he doesn't see a Levite, he sees a good for nothing, wrong side of the track, mama told me the only good Samaritan was a, yeah, you got it. And here, I'm sure he's laying back going, that's it, it's over. But how shocked he must have been when this guy from the wrong side of the wrong side of the wrong side of the trail, listen, if you're Jewish, you're taught stay away from Samaritans. Don't you ever date a Samaritan. Don't you ever even talk to it. Don't you even look at a Samaritan. But that Samaritan was the one who got off his donkey and knelt down, picked him up, poured in the oil, poured in the wine, bandaged his wounds loved on him, took care of him, picked him up and put him on his donkey. Listen, it didn't, it didn't just enough. Some of you are going to get off your donkey today and some of you are going to put the need on your donkey today. You're going to say, you know what? I'm going to, I, maybe, I, maybe we could foster. Maybe, maybe, maybe we could adopt. Maybe we could sow a big seed into family first. Maybe we could support the orphan care ministry of this church like never before. Maybe we could do something historic and not just get off our donkey, but put the need on our donkey and take it where it needs to go. So that Samaritan took him to the hotel, said, look, uh, put it on my bill. I'll pay for it, whatever you need. The Bible says, who do you think among these three was his neighbor? The one who had mercy, the one who showed love. Well, those are three types of people. Those that beat up, those that shut up, and those that lift up. But wait a minute, preacher, you said there were four. There are four. There are those who have given up. 
There had to be a time in that man's life when he said, nobody wants me. The first time I ever heard that story of what happened on the streets of Skid Row, the next day, I couldn't sleep. I'm sitting around Pastor Chad eating lunch at Phoenix First Assembly, and I see a group of like teenagers sitting over, and I have a really good ear for eavesdropping. I can probably hear things that are going on back there. When I'm in church, I can see the kids that are taking notes, and I can see the kids that are texting. And I'm like, okay, and I kind of give them the look. I was eavesdropping, and I heard this group of young girls sitting around talking, and one word just popped out, and it just drew my attention. Squirrel. No, not squirrel. It was, I heard one of the girls say, foster care. And all of a sudden, my head just swiveled. It just turned over that way, and I thought, okay, I'm going to listen. And I began to ease my chair a little bit closer. I didn't want to invite myself. I actually did a little bit later on. But I just wanted to listen. And I heard this girl telling the most gut-wrenching testimony I had ever heard. She said, yeah, I grew up in foster care. uh, But I always dreamed I would get adopted. She said, when I was a kid, and she's an artist. She had her little paper and her pad, and she's drawing some incredible pictures. I think that's what drew people to go over and look and see what she was drawing. But she was drawing these pictures. She said, when I was a kid growing up in foster care, I dreamed of getting adopted. I always thought, man, my dad's going to be awesome. My mom's going to be beautiful. She said, I was sitting in school one time, and I drew a picture of this really handsome guy, and I nudged my buddy at the desk next to me and said, hey, this is what my dad's going to look like. He's looking for me now, and I'm looking for him. He's going to walk me down the aisle when I get married. He's going to protect me from the boys. He's going to take care of me. He's going to be my watchdog, my protector. And her friend would just look at her and say, look, you're 15, 16 and nobody wants to adopt 15, 16-year-olds. She didn't care. Then she'd draw a picture of a beautiful lady. She'd nudge her friend again and say, this is what my mom's going to look like. She's going to be beautiful. We're going to go shopping together. We're going to get our nails done together. We're going to do all the girly things together. She's going to love me. And her friend said, look, I don't know how to tell you this, but it's probably not going to happen. Don't get your hopes up. But she said, I did get my hopes up. In fact, I bought a calendar the year of my 18th birthday. And I circled the day of the 18th birthday. And she said, I've got till then to find them. And they've got till then to find me. So the morning of her 18th birthday, she wakes up and realizes it didn't happen. And she goes into the bathroom and she wipes the sleep out of her eyes. And she looks in the mirror and she said, I even said it out loud. She said, well, it looks like no one wants you. She said, I had never in my life felt more like giving up But I went downstairs and was about to eat breakfast with my foster family when my foster family said, hey, what are you going to do? We kind of need you to move out today because we don't get any more money after today. And well, we kind of would like to maybe bring someone else. We we don't know. What are your plans? And she said, I I have no plans. I have nowhere to go. And somebody said, what'd you do? She said, luckily the Dream Center found me. And I have a place. I have a home. I have a family. I don't have the dad I thought I'd have or the mom I thought I'd have. But I got a place to call home, and I got people that love me. And she smiled. She said, my life's going to be okay. I'm going to college right now. The young girl I talked about earlier that had been trafficked when she was 15 years old, when I saw her at the golf tournament, she was hugging on me. I gave her some money. Blake Walker gave her some money. And now she's in college doing great because she has a family that loves her. Listen, some of you may be here this morning, and you may feel like it's time to give up. Don't you dare give up on something God's not ready to give up on. Jesus died on the cross for you, and he would have died if it were just you. That's how important you are. That's how awesome you are. Don't ever get to that point where you think, 
I'm not worth it. I don't mean anything. We meet kids all the time that they come into, a, into our meetings so lifeless. And we have to speak life into them. We have to deprogram them of that spirit of death and reprogram them with a spirit of life. And it's the greatest thing watching God change these lives. LifeGate, you have an opportunity this morning. You're already on the ground floor of something historic, but we get to take it to another level. Listen, I'm a passionate guy. I only know one gear, and it ain't low. I want to reach as many kids as possible because they're out there. They're lying by the side of the road. They're half dead. There's a part of them that has stopped developing. Many of these kids, when they developmentally halt, they either die socially, they die mentally, they die sometimes spiritually. There's a part of them. The girl that came to us, Kiki, when she was 11 years old, we found out later on she had been raped by an uncle. There's an 11-year-old there that just died that's going to stay 11-year-old. We had to go back and love that 11-year-old through her healing, and now she's got a future. Everything is about getting these kids that are lying by the side of the road on our donkey and taking them where they need to go.